tap in the water and all that stuff that goes up there. It goes up in and comes out into the fruit. And then you go deeper than that, the root system. That's the important part as well. It's underground. You can't see it, but that's where it receives life and purpose. Hope has a root system. And this morning, I'm going to talk a little bit about that so that you can have something by which to base your your hope in so that it isn't just snatched out of thin air almost. Okay, I have hope. No, there's something behind it that's going to uh, support your hope. You're not just uh, walking through life with your fingers crossed. Well, I hope so. I hope I make it to heaven. I hope everything's fine. Speaking of Pastor Bussey, that uh, pastor, he was a Lutheran pastor uh, at first. That's where he got his training. And uh, Augsburg College, I think it was in Minnesota. And he became a pastor out in North Dakota. I recently read his story again. I didn't know he had given it, but uh, someone sent it to me back in the 40s or whenever. And um, I remember his story, though, about when he really became a Christian. He was a pastor. He studied Hebrew, he studied Greek, you never know it because he didn't flaunt it, but he studied eight years of Greek, four years of Hebrew, he, know the, the, he knew the ancient language, he knew that, but he was so in, in love with Jesus and practical that he never brought that stuff out, he just said, here it is. But I remember that he, uh, got, he was in this church for six or seven years in North Dakota, and an old farmer got sick and he was about to die. So Pastor Bussey went out to visit him, as we should do, and he went out to visit him, and they're talking, and the old man, the old farmer, asked Pastor Bussey, he said, are you saved? Do you know the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior? Do you know if you're going to die, are you going to go to heaven? He said, well, I hope so. Really? You hope so? He said, well, yeah, I hope so. Well, he said, listen, you've got to know so. And he led him to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. He had all the religion. It's almost like Paul. You know, he had all that pharisaical training and Bible training, but he didn't know the Lord. That was Pastor Bussey's story. And he met the Lord, and God changed his life, and he went just, and that's the rest of the story, what I would tell you. But you see, you have to know what you know. It's not just knowledge up here. It has to be founded on the truth and experience of the Word of God. Go to Romans chapter 5. You're at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 5. This is a passage of Scripture that we've been looking at because hope is mentioned a couple times in this passage. And each of these verses of hope have a root system. They're rooted in truth. We're going to read this in a minute, but the first two verses are going to give you the blessings or benefits we have when we belong to Jesus. And that's hope of glory. We're going to get to that. And then the next passage, part of it, 3 to 5, is the process by which hope comes up from the roots of our relationship with Christ, comes up through the trunk, up through our life, and begins to manifest itself in fruit. Enables us, this is how it's, the process is going to happen, that hope is going to come. Now, let me read it for you. He says, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast or exalt or rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That's the benefits. That's, the, that's what's happening at our relationship with Christ. Not only so, verse 3, but we also glory in our sufferings, but we co- because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, 
because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. So you see the two aspects of that, the hope of glory and the process by which suffering, patient, endurance, and those things produce in character, produce hope in us. So it's all about hope. Let me read this out of the message. I, I like Eugene Peterson's uh, message paraphrase. He said this, By entering through faith into what God has always wanted to do for us, to set us right with him, making us fit for him, we have all together... We have it all together with God because of our master Jesus. And that's not all. We throw open our doors to God and discover at the same moment that he has already thrown his door open to us. We find ourselves standing where we've always hoped we might stand. Out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory. Standing tall and shouting our praise. There's more to come. We continue to shout our praise even when we're hemmed in with troubles because we know how troubles can develop passionate patience in us and how that patient in turn forges the tempered steel of virtue keeping us alert for whatever God will do next in alert expectancy such as this we never left we're never left feeling short-changed quite the contrary we can't round up enough containers to hold everything God generously pours out into our lives through the Holy Spirit I like that I'll take some time to walk through that but if you have a uh, uh, message paraphrase go ahead and read that it's good so God's got root systems of hope for us found here in Romans chapter 5 remember faith is confident trust in a person or something it's based upon facts I'm trusting in that that's faith hope is that optimistic attitude and outlook towards future things uh, optimistic attitude of mind faith is what it says now I'm standing on the promises of God. That would be, my faith is built on nothing less than, and my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. My faith is in the word. Faith says now, hope is future. And I read this scripture for you. You can write it down in Hebrews chapter 6. It says, hope is an anchor for our soul. Hope is something that's going to anchor me through this. Now, Romans chapter 5 begins with a phrase that says, therefore... Since we have been justified through faith, therefore, when you study your Bible, it's the, you ask the question, why is the therefore therefore? Why do they use that statement, therefore, since something happened, what was it to happen? So you have to go back to the first part of your Bible, or first part of the chapters, paragraphs, thought, to get it lined up to say, okay, He's going to tell us something. Therefore, since we are justified through faith, we have peace with God. So what is that justification? Therefore, what happened? You know, your Bible, I want to just take a little uh, side trip over here. Your Bible that you have in front of you, I hope some of you have started reading your Bible this year to try to read through, attempt to read through Genesis, Matthew, read all the way through the scriptures this year. It's powerful for us. But it came to my attention again that we don't understand that the Bible is such an amazing book. It is a long, not very large, it's a Bible. It's a compilation of 66 different books. So in a sense, it's a library. It's got 66 books. Just for fun, I counted 66 books on my bookshelf. It went 41 inches, about this far. But my Bible has 66 books here. 
So what is in this Bible of mine that will cover that? It was written over a period of 1,500 years, 44 different authors, but they all align. That's what's amazing about the Bible. Nobody contradicts each other. It's all in the story of God, inspired by the God. It begins in in the beginning, God, and ends thousand pages or more later in book of revelation the grace of our lord jesus christ be with you and in between i i I didn't count this i just want you to know i didn't spend my days doing it one million words thirty-one thousand verses so when you read the bible through this year you read a lot of words a lot of verses as you go through so i want to narrow this down for us so that we can understand the principles and the and the truth of god and how his books align that we can get this journey of understanding hope, faith, love, God himself, his character. And someone said this to me a number of years ago, I want to remind myself of it and you too, that one way that you can grab hold of the word of God in a shorter way is to read the Gospel of John, the book of Acts, and the letter to the church at Rome. John, Acts, and Romans. I don't know if you ever heard of that, but those 65 chapters give the whole story from the gospel of John he, with uh, the other three gospel writers focuses on the early life of Jesus, his birth, his miracles, his message, his teaching, all the way to the cross and then in the resurrection. That's the gospel of John. So you want to learn about what Jesus did, how he walked on earth, read the gospel of John. It's got eight miracles, eight different discussions that he gives. It's an amazing book, the Gospel of John. Tell you all about Jesus. Well, then you get to the book of Acts, and the book of Acts is when uh, it begins with a resurrected Christ. He ascends, and then the church comes along, and the, the Holy Spirit is poured out, and then it begins to talk about the proclamation of the Gospel message, where Paul the Apostles, they're they're pushing out the gospel. They're spreading hope. They're spreading the gospel everywhere they want. It's the church in action. Well, then you get to this book of Romans, and it is a book of the great, some of the greatest doctrines or teachings of the Word of God. Some of you look like you wish we were on a Zoom call for class, and you could just go get a glass of water or something. Because I feel like I'm just teaching a class here, and you're all going, oh, I didn't want to do this this morning. Listen, you need this, okay? I wouldn't give it if I didn't think you need it. You need to understand that when we're going to get to Romans chapter 5, we've got to go back to Romans chapter 1. And Romans chapter 1 is going to outline for us, John, the story of Jesus. Acts, the story of the, of the church filled with the Holy Spirit, beginning to preach and go, and say, go to the ends of the earth. And then this letter to Rome begins to outline some amazing doctrines and truths. And I used... Romans chapter 5, therefore, being just, since we have been justified. Now, that's a word most of us don't know. It's a word that, what does that mean to me? That is going to be the foundation and basis of your relationship with God through Jesus Christ, that you can stand and you can walk in hope. So I'm saying this so that when, when we grab hold of it, when we read the word, we get into a deeper depth of what God means. Justified through faith. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. You see, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ is, is, is the means by which I'm declared righteous. 
I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. He died on the cross for my sin. When I accept him as my Savior, we celebrated this morning that his death on the cross, and I take the atonement that he paid, and my sins have been washed, and I've been clothed with his righteousness, uh, and, and all the changes it has. My standing before God is what Jesus has done for me. In fact, all the charges that were against me have been wiped out. He took all my sin, put it on his, himself. Everything that Jesus did on the cross has been credited, credited to my account. So God is satisfied. The payment of sin has been paid. I've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. But that's not justification. Justification is a legal term that declares one righteous. An act of God when he declares legally you are justified. You are now righteous. It's a position declared righteous. Jesus makes me righteous. God declares me righteous. And it's a legal action. It gives me standing. It gives me a long hoped for peace with God. By the way, if you're a believer in Jesus, you are justified. You have been declared righteous by God. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, that is what God has done for us, declaring us righteous. If you're here and you haven't been declared righteous, you're not saved. It's part of the package. It's part of what God does for us. It's your personal declaration, your, uh, your freedom. You've been declared righteous now, justified. First John 5.13, it says these things are written so that you know that you have eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who has not the Son of God has not life. When Jesus died, he died as a sin sinless uh, substitute. He perfectly paid the price of God's righteous wrath. Redeemed me from sin and justified us by granting us his righteousness. So you say, okay, teacher, where are you going with this now? I'm going to go to uh, this next phrase. Since we have been justified through faith, we believe it, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm thinking a lot about the word peace because there's four benefits. We have peace with God. We have access to God. We have the grace of God. We have the glory coming, hope of glory in Christ. All those things are mentioned. But what does it mean to have peace with God. Why do I need peace with God? I'm going to get a little bit politically incorrect this morning because I'm going to talk to you about an aspect that we don't talk about enough. We don't talk about the fact that sin separates us from God. God is angry with wickedness. He is angry with, wrath, uh, with sin, what's going on. And Romans chapter 1 says it. Go back to chapter 1. Because chat, let, let me just give you an outline to get you here. Chapter 1 in the book of Romans talks about the matter of God's wrath, his anger. Chapter 2 talks about his righteous dealing with sin, his judgment. Chapter 3 is going to talk about our inability to save ourselves. At the end of the chapter, salvation by grace through faith alone, how God saves us. He's also going to say, you can't work to earn it. It's a free gift of God. Salvation is a gift. 
Chapter 4 is going to use Abraham as an example and said salvation is by grace alone. Chapter 5 says, therefore, since all that happened, we have peace with God. Now, one of the parts, and the reason I feel a little bit uncomfortable with this, I'm not uncomfortable, but even as I preach it, I know what ears hear. Ears don't want to hear that God is angry. Ears don't want to hear that he is a God who is at war with us. He's a God I was reading in Exodus, writing in Exodus, and God says to, to Moses, he said, the people have risen up and are playing and they're worshiping this calf, this idol, and I'm mad. Get out of the way, Moses. I'm going to destroy them all. People don't want to hear that. People want to hear a God who's so loving, and he is, so kind. He would never hurt a flea. Excuse me? Who are we dealing with? Are we dealing with a religious icon on a wall or some phrase someplace that God is a God of love? He is absolutely through the, shed, the love shed abroad in your hearts. But he is also an angry God towards sin and wickedness. Go to chapter 1 and look at verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power, and his divine nature, and let me add in here, and his holiness, and his righteousness, and his judgment, has been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that people are without excuse. This is a set of verses that you don't hear too often. You don't read them too often. You don't we don't understand that we love the word peace with God, but you can only have understand peace if you knew that there was war going on before that happened. You still with me? Please don't throw him. Oh, this is why we got rid of hymn books, so you don't throw them at the pastor. Okay? I like Bibles, so throw all you want. But, but you have to understand that the words peace with God is not just some empty cliche that says, yay, me and God are friends again. No, it means that the, the, the sword of war, the sword of anger, the sword of judgment has been dealt with and laid down, and now I am declared that I can come before him. I'm justified. So when you read your Bible, please read it all. Not just parts of it, the parts you like. Get it where it says what it says. Ephesians 2, 3. It says, we were by nature the children of wrath. Ephesians 2, 3. We were, we were at odds with God, the wrath of God. Now look at verse 21. This is how man has responded to God. God said, I've revealed myself. Verse 21, for although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like human, mortal human beings and birds and animals and reptiles. Man, from the very beginning of creation, when sin entered the world, in a sense, there's been war. 
Because in the disobedience and rebellion against God, man, and, and listen, the essence of sin, can I give you a definition that helps me? Because everybody says sin. Well, okay, what is sin? Okay, we can all get out a piece of paper, we can list a bunch of sins. We say, okay, we know lying's a sin, adultery's a sin, unbelief's a sin, stealing's a sin, killing people, that's not good, so that's got to be a sin. And then in the church over the centuries, we've added a bunch of more. A, jump, a bunch of more, that's good. <laughs> a bunch more. Don't you dare play cards. That's a sin. Don't go to the movie house. Oh, don't go to the pool house. That's sin. And so we had all these other things. Can I just rid you of this checklist of sin and say sin is any attempt to satisfy your heart need of security and uh, safety and meaning and value apart from God. Because God is our hope. He is my life. He has given me meaning. I will only find out who I am when I get in a right relationship with God. Sin is anything I attempt to put between me and God. Anything I attempt to do. Even studying the Bible. If I think, well, I'll just study it. When I was in high school, again, I'm going back in all my years now, but there was a man in our church, he was Christian science. Now, Christian science is a false religion. It, it's, it's not the truth, although they use the Bible. He was the youngest reader in the Christian science movement at 33 years old. Brilliant man. And you have to be, that's what they're called, readers. And, and he had achieved that high level. He knew the Bible better than most anybody I've ever met because they studied it. Then they studied it, and they knew it. But the problem was, when they looked at the Bible, they looked and took the glasses of their leader, Mary Baker Gleverson Patterson, Eddie, married five times, that lady was. Anyway, her glasses, she put the glasses on, and you read the Bible according to her method of reading. I'll never forget. When he accepted Jesus Christ and came to a living reality of who Jesus was and knew he was a sinner and needed a savior, he said suddenly, the glasses came on and I saw the word for what it was. The glasses were removed and that word of God was still living and worked in my heart. You see, it isn't just the religious stuff we do. We can't earn this. It is a revelation of God by faith, drawn to the Father by him. Okay, man's response. They don't give him thanks. They exchange things. Verse 23, he says they gave him over to uh, look like, exchanging the glory. Verse 24, they gave him over to the sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Worshiped and served things rather than the creator. Created things. Who is forever praised. And because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. And it begins to define all the sexual perversions that go on. And then God gives them over to a depraved mind, a wicked mind. I don't want to read all this, but I, I will go over to chapter 3. Go to chapter 3 just because of time. Verse 11. He said, what's the conclusion? There's none righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. They've all turned away. They've become together 
become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Their throats are like open graves. Their tongues practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouth are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Ruin and misery mark their ways. And the way of peace they do not know. They don't know how to have peace with God because there is no fear of God before their eyes. Psalm 7 verse 11 says God is a righteous judge. A God who displays his wrath every day. He is angry with the wicked every day. Let me quote Billy Graham who wrote a book back in the 50s called Peace with God. Let me quote this. He said the greatest warfare going on in the world today is between mankind and God. People do not realize that they are at war with God. But if they don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, God considers them to be at war with him. I forget this reality. I just think people are having trouble. I just think people, oh, I wish they wouldn't do that. I wish they wouldn't do that. Well, they're addicted to drugs. I wish they weren't like that. I wish it was okay. No, listen, they're in a position where God says, I will resist that. I'm angry with that, but I have a way out for that. I have salvation. Jesus died on the cross for that sin. He, he paid the price. But until that happens, until that exchange has taken place, until that heart has been renewed, there's war going on. Again, that is not a politically correct thing to say, to think that our entire world is at war with the Creator God. But that's the truth. You see, God is a righteous God. We, we pull him down to what J.B. Phillips called, your God is too small. He's just a granddaddy in the sky with a nice white flowing beard that sort of twinkles his fingers and, oh, stars come to place and things happen. No, he's a righteous, holy God. And we're going to stand before him. And if you've just finished the book of Revelation, you know that he will pour out his wrath upon the earth one day. Which is why it is imperative, church, that when we share the gospel, we understand that there's a war going on and they need peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the hope of our evangelism. That's the hope of the reason we talk to people about Jesus. Why? So that they can have peace with him through the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace is only wonderful to me when I recognize that my sin and my rebellion has kept me away from him who made me and created me. And I don't care what age you are. I remember at nine years old hearing a message similar to this about the results of sin, that there's going to be a hell reserved for those. Not for man, but man's going to go there. Reserved for the devil and his demons. But it's a place when those who reject Jesus without hope, without God, going into a Christless eternity. And at nine years old, I remember specifically the older I get, the clearer it has become that at that time, I, I went to an altar because that's what I knew how to do. They said, come to the altar. And I remember when the burden of my sin rolled away. Now, what kind of sin did I have? I didn't have a list. I wasn't running around with wild women at ninth, well, maybe I was, ninth grade, or nine years old. <laughs> I, did, I told my share of lies at nine. I stole a few things at nine, got in a lot of trouble for it. But that wasn't the issue. The issue is that my heart was longing for peace with God, even in nine. 
And I remember kneeling and being led in the sinner's prayer, as it were. And I remember the transformation that had my heart. Now, did I grow a lot from that? Absolutely. I didn't know a whole lot. I was nine. I grew up a little bit more and more and more, made other decisions in my life. But I know more and more now that when I come to the table of the Lord, I have peace with God because his blood washed me clean and continues to wash me clean. But peace is only wonderful when I recognize that I've been at war, at odds with God. And if you and I never see our sin, if we never recognize that I was an enemy of God, I will never know that there was a Savior sent from heaven for me. Jesus sent his only Son to earth. He who knew no sin became sin for me and you, that I might be made the righteousness of God in him. You see, God's anger is only satisfied when the, by the sacrifice of his son. I couldn't pay for that. You can't pay for that. Jesus paid it all. God's fury is fully absorbed by the death of Jesus. And now I'm declared righteous. Now go to chapter 5. You're going to want to read 1 through 5 to get 1 through 4 to get to 5 sometime this week. Because he said, therefore... Therefore, based upon the outlining of the, of the attempt of a man to live apart from God, the trial, we try to make it by the law, if we could just keep the law, if we try to go through this, if we try to do that, and we come to find out some. Verse 21 of chapter 3 says, For now, apart from the law, righteousness of God has been made and come known. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to a whole belief. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God, I'm at 325, chapter 320. And God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he has left the sins committed before him unpunished. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness. We have faith in Jesus. with God, justified through faith, and peace becomes my present reality. I have peace with God. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1. Put something here and we'll be right back to this in just an, another moment. We'll be done. Galatians, Ephesians, um, go to Colossians. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your mind because of your evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish. Free from accusation, if you continue your faith established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel you've heard and has proclaimed to every creature under heaven. He bought us. He brought us into his house and his kingdom. Go back to Romans. With this scripture, I'll close. Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. Let me make you, just help you with something because of 
of Romans chapter 5, peace with God. And another scripture where you have the peace of God. Romans chapter 5, verse 2, we have peace with God. Philippians chapter 4, 6, and 7, it said, let the peace of God rule in your heart. Two different pieces. The first peace with God brings about a relationship with God. It's a need of every sinner to have peace with God. That peace will take me to heaven. It will come when I get saved, a conversion. The peace of God is what I walk in. The peace of God, now I walk in fellowship with Him. I need His peace. It brings heaven to me. Moment by moment, the peace of God. Here's a promise, church. That Jesus made the way possible that every sinner can have life in Jesus. Life, peace with God. And that's why we come, really. That's why we come and worship God because we've seen that what we were rescued from, the sin that once I was at war with God, and believe me, our world is still at war with God. If you name the name Jesus, you will be ridiculed and thrown off the air and done everything. Because if you mention God and the Lord Jesus Christ, you and the world don't get along. You can use any other God, any other name, anything else. You can curse by anything you want. But if you bring in anything about the Lord Jesus Christ or God, creator God, you will be ridiculed. Why? Because the world is at war with their creator. But here's the hope, and this is the message, and it's in that we stand, that he has paid the price. I've been justified. I've been declared righteous by God. And that's my hope. Romans 15, verse 13. This is going to be my prayer for all of us as we come to the end of this service. And this is my prayer. I just want to bless you with this. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of of the Holy Spirit. Father, that is our prayer this morning. Worship team, you could come. Father, our prayer is that every one of us here in the sound of this voice as we read and looked at the scriptures that we would know that we have peace with you, our God. That the anger has been abated. It has been taken away. That relationship has been restored. I've been declared righteous. We've been declared righteous. But Father, it's a serious word. But the hope is serious as well. The peace is serious as well. That every man, woman, and child on this earth right now, whether they're in China or Haiti or Patagonia or Japan or Suffield, Ohio or Akron, that every human being on this earth has the opportunity to open their hearts, to have their sins forgiven, to be washed by the blood of the Lamb, and to be declared righteous for life and hope, for meaning. Father, we have the greatest treasure given in heaven and earth, this gift of life that's found in Jesus. May we go from here and share it and spread it to a lost 
dying world, a world that's without hope, without God, away from his presence. Lord, this morning we give you our hearts afresh and anew. We thank you. Stand with me. Stand and sing. Let's worship him. To all.